0: Talking about innovation in teaching and education, Popular pedagogy, Discussions that are topical and sometimes philosophical, Popular Podagogy. Popular Podagogy.
1: Hi there. Thanks for joining us and welcome to another episode of Popular Podagogy, where we try to bring big ideas in teaching and education to life. I'm your host, Chris Carlton. And this podcast is being brought to you by the Faculty of Education at Queen's University. Welcome to our April podcast. For many teachers, one of the important focuses for this month is Earth Day, which we will be celebrating on April 22nd, which marks the anniversary of the birth of the modern environmental movement in 1970. This year's Earth Day theme is invest in our planet with a follow up question. What will you do? One of the Earth Day events is the Great Global Cleanup, which is a worldwide campaign that encourages and supports citizens, businesses, and governments to be accountable and take action. This is often the main focus of many classes and schools as they go outside and help clean up the environment around their school and neighbourhood. This is a fantastic initiative and does raise awareness for protecting our environment, but many teachers and students are asking, what else Can we do to make an even bigger impact and continue this invest in our planet mindset even further. In this podcast, I'm excited to be speaking with Dan Hendry, who is a champion of promoting sustainable initiatives here in Kingston for the Limestick District School Board and Loyalist Township and involves himself in many community based projects you will quickly understand that his concern for the environment is what drives him to take initiative in promoting sustainable solutions within the Kingston community and well beyond. I'd like to introduce our guest to our podcast today, and that is the man known as Sustainable Dan, Dan Hendry. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Yeah, Thanks for having me. You have received, and I checked your website, so you can't lie about this one, you have received many awards and recognition for, from organizations that celebrate leadership and sustainability. And you are a facilitator, mentor, and communicator who focuses your energy and efforts on making Kingston a sustainable, livable, and smart city.
0: Wow, with that intro, you know, it's definitely uh, when I was in high school, I didn't think I'd get some of that stuff. But yeah, no, thank you so much, Chris, for having me. And, and for sure, it's uh, I've been working in this space for a while now um, and really enjoy it. You know, it makes, uh, makes me be able to get up every day and just be passionate about what I do. So thanks again for having me uh, today and looking forward to chatting with whatever you think uh, you'd like with uh, maybe you can pick my brain about, you know.
1: That sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. I was very excited about this. Now, Dan, when speaking with my teacher colleagues and reading podcast email questions regarding this topic, there seems to be two common themes around the topic of Earth Day and sustainability in general. One was, what more can we do as teachers besides the important school yard cleanup? And how do you look at your community and find resources and ideas to integrate sustainability into your classroom? two very important questions and I think with the initiatives that you have started and our discussions around them, we will be able to answer those queries. But I'd I'd like to start off with discussing an impressive photo of you on your website DHendry.com and and it's of you in front of these two massive city buses. And I personally know the story and my class has benefited from this uh, innovative initiative. But I know our, lead, uh, our listeners would love to learn more about it. So can you explain a little bit more about that uh, epic picture?
0: Yeah, so this is uh, something, it's a, it's a great picture, one of my favorites. Uh, I don't have any pictures I like of myself, you know, truthfully, but that's one that I, you know, once while a glimpse at and I, I smirk. And um, it's, it's it by, by far, it's it's one of my biggest accomplishments. But again, not just me, it's something I've been involved in. A lot of people have. Um, really started off in 2012 in Kingston, when the city of Kingston, uh, uh, councillors and the trustees of the school boards decided to allow grade nines to ride for free. So I had a background in sustainability um, pretty. You know, in my role here, and I saw this awesome opportunity to allow kids to use the bus. But all I was thinking was, well, who's going to teach them? How do they know how, right? Like we live in a very car-centric culture, right? So that's when we kind of started an evolution. It did take time for sure. Sometimes there are little things you don't know about. You got to find out, you know, and sometimes that just, uh, you learn it by just doing it, right? And that's how I've learned a lot of things in my life and create a lot of mistakes in the meantime, but learn from those mistakes. That bus, going back to that, Chris is really it was this opportunity where all kids in grade or all students in the city of Kingston got a free bus pass in grade nine. And we, we worked out a way to figure out how to teach them and train them. And we evolved that program. So now in the city of Kingston, uh, grade nine, 10, 11 to 12 all have no cost passes. Um, and you know it's more complex than, than that, but it's really simple in that way. Like that's from the student and teach staff point of view. That's what they know. I help with a lot of the backend stuff, but it's led to like a transformation. And I think in a lot of times in our schools, in our community, when it comes to ridership, I mean, it's a bus. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't think I loved buses this much, but it's a connection, it's A to B, it's getting to school, it's getting to sports, it's staying late for homework, it's meeting friends, it's your first date, it's volunteering, it's work, right? It's all these things. And, and by normalizing at a young age before, you know, 16, the automobile really is what we all go for at that age. You know, it's given schools and students uh, the autonomy to make decisions and travel. And that's just opened up so many rich educational opportunities, I would say, because of this route of getting classes into hands and training students.
1: And the the one step that has been taken further by you as well is because I'm an elementary teacher. We also um, are my grade seven, eights traveled for free as well. So it was brought down. Was it brought down to that level or? Well, it kind of, yeah, so like it started with, and again, it was, this is not something that was started on paper to say, oh, this here's is it's going to work, right?
0: It was like, oh, let's start it and like change. Oh, we'll figure this out. And as people poked up their hands, and like, what about this? Or can we do this? Or teach my kid this, like about health safety. Like, if, you know, um, what happened was, you know, we realized that, um, well, Transit realized, not myself at all, but they said, you know what, there were very few, like under 14, like it's limited, right? Like I think of my daughter who's 13 and she's just getting at that age where she can travel a little bit more independently, I would say, right? And so it, it opened up an opportunity where we were talking to transit. well, if kids are riding for free, like under 12, why don't we just make a pass where the school board will chip in a bit of money based upon, uh, you know, an average amount of adults we would assume would be on a trip, usually about three, right? Like EAs, ECEs, teachers, or parent helpers. And, you know, every time that we made a one pass, just make it easier. So a field trip pass was created for each school based upon the fact that kids were riding free anyway. So we just had to reduce the mechanism and make it easy for adults and and and, and and field trips, right? So it created a field trip pass. And its first year, there were about 600 field trips. This is before COVID. It's been harder since a little bit. There's still been, it's been getting going to get more. The second year, just before COVID, there were 900 field trips. And that's things like the farmer's market, right? Like some, like riding, renting a school, a yellow bus costs money. And it's the barriers, right? Some kids, you got to track them down. You got the parental forms. You got to pay for the bus. You got to have the bus the exact time. You have to wait for the yellow buses to get to school, and then you have to get back before the yellow bus have to pick up the bus riders themselves, right? So there are all these barriers, and all we did was streamline some of it and give transit passes. Of course, it's it's not the same in every part of the community because it it does fall within the transit system, right? But. It, but it does open up a lot. And those 900 field trips, you know, if, if you tried to equate that to a dollar value, I think it's something like almost like, like $250,000 that like it could have been representative of, of renting yellow buses, right? Um, and some people say, well, what about the yellow buses? The reality is when talking to teachers, because the reduction of barriers, this enabled way more than they would ever have maybe one field trip a year, right? It was It was a standing thing. Some classes, they had the field trip and they just... Because the parents said signed off that they'd be allowed to do small trips in the area. It just became part of the normalized culture in that school. So yeah, it, it started with high school students and then moved into elementary. But I guess part of this, and I know this sounds complex, trust me, it's been a decade of my work in this, some of this, but at the same time, I think it's about looking at our surroundings a bit differently. Like that is sustainability. Connected transit is better than you know, single occupancy vehicles idling and driving and creating traffic around our schools, right? So it's about normalizing these these things that we do exist and amplifying them, I think, in our communities.
1: Dan, I'm glad you mentioned the idea of it just becoming part of your classroom procedure because that's what happened in my class. We actually were doing um, a woodworking program at another school and it was just part of the day. We got, we came to our normal school and then we got on a city bus and we traveled to the other school and came back And the great thing that not only did we we were able to access a lot more of our city, but I was able to watch those social interactions between my classes and the people that were on the bus. We talked about bus etiquette. We talked about being polite, being respectful uh, to other bus riders. And what an incredible teachable moment every single time we got on the bus. Um, So to, to me, it changed the way we looked at how we could access our community. And we went out a lot more because of that. And you're right, those the yellow buses were expensive to, to be able to organize and get done. Now, just really quickly, do other cities do this? Or have you heard this in other cities? Um, you know, more and more of like, uh, I've done a TEDx talk on this and, and
0: other uh, resources I've helped create because you know, it's not always that the transit authority and the education system, uh, you know, um, they don't talk to each other regularly. It's not that, you know, it's not that they don't like each other necessarily. It's just that they're in different businesses, right? Education and transit as a whole community. Um, but because of the work we've done here in Kingston, more and more, I would say I've talked to 40 or 50 communities across Canada. I'm actually working really hard on my own time to try to figure out how to scale it to other communities because the amount of spin that that created so many good things. And you've just heard from the education point of view, but I'm talking about getting kids to work and volunteer as part of high school, right. Or, or just so many really neat things. I've heard about other agencies like pathways to education, being able to save money now. And um, instead of paying for transit, they buy food chips for to entice students to come for, for homework, health, help that type of thing. So there's been so much good for sure. I've heard, you know, Victoria, British Columbia, Charlottetown PI, Halifax, Nova Scotia, and uh, you know, Brockville, Peterborough, they're not all doing it yet, but I've seen in their papers or got notes from people that you know, in the last like month, I've spoken to people from Edmonton, Quebec City, and Winnipeg. I'm always willing to speak about this with anyone interested because I want to watch it go. I've seen it do so much good. Um, and I want other communities to do it because I know they can. It's just it's a little complex because the moving parts, but, you know, all it takes is a bit of effort and trying to figure out. And I think I, I really do think across Canada, I'm hoping that I'll be able to help kind of spur this movement and get other communities to see the same value and then create a plan to make it work in their community because every community is a bit different, you know.
1: And that, Dan, is why the accolades and awards are, are with you. So congratulations on that. That's amazing. Now, Dan, I, I, I've also spoken to you about in-school initiatives. Um, That can be started that will make a big impact on the environment um, and understanding that aspect of sustainability a little bit more. And you told me about a marker drive that you had uh, done the initiative and I'd love to our listeners to hear a little bit more about that, please. For sure. So I think,
0: yeah, it's like you said, like something could be super complex. It's a multi-year and that's my job. I'm not a teacher. And I have to say that my wife's a teacher. My parents are both teachers. A lot of respect for this. And I have taught actually, I taught in Korea for, for four or five years, four years. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't have to be in the day-to-day in front of the students. That's a lot of work, a lot of marketing, a lot of parents. Right. So my job, I I want to say that because some of the things I get to work on, I don't have that during the day too. So those are realities. You only have so much time and energy and, and what you do. But I think it's, it's good at kind of looking at all the breadth of different things that you can, as big as they seem or as small as they seem and work on things. So one example is a marker drive, right? Uh, you know, this came to, it's not my idea. Like it, you just, we get a lot of markers right in the school system. And I noticed that Staples um, is partnered with, I believe, TerraCycle. So Staples or other box stores out there have different programs in which they, 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 they have different ways to take certain things that don't really get recycled. And that's the thing. And I, I mean, I, we can go all over the place, you know, Sustainable den for a reason. I can talk about a lot of this stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is, it, they're designed. We're, we're taking things that are designed that way. They shouldn't be designed that they can't be broken down properly. Or we live in a, a, a world that has a lot of um, design pushed on us in which we can't properly recycle. I always think that's unfair, that things are made a certain way, but then they can't easily recycle. And I don't think that makes sense, personally. It should be more holistic, where it kind of easily break down and come back. But there are some that, you know, we specialize process, but it's about getting those markers somewhere. So noticing this, this uh the staples, right? with the different bins, I talked to the manager said, listen, I work for the school board and we have all these different schools, you know, could we do something? And he's like, Oh, that'd be great. Because also for them, a lot of times you'd have to double check with depending on what initiative you might want to start, but they see value because that store, the more markers they, they recycle, the better they look, you know, between other stores, you know what I mean? Because there's so many stores collecting these stuff. Anyway. So I talked, I said, well, listen, what, Part of what I, you know, what we did was looked at the internal mechanisms, whether it be within your school or the board or the community. And our school board has an internal courier. Okay, so, you know, we have sixty plus sites. They have to get things from different areas or different packages from the board out. So there's someone's job that goes and delivers. It's kind of like a mini um, FedEx, but just between you know uh, the schools at our board. And so we created a very simple. And again, it evolved. So Staples gave us a bunch of boxes. Um, for for Marcus and we pushed it out and helped communicate it. Sure enough, they start coming back, but the boxes, they were falling apart and they were falling over in the the courier truck. So what we came to, which was really simple, was just a clear plastic bag. A lot of schools have, um, you know, janitorial recycling bags or custodial recycling bags. um, And all we did was collect them. And so those are easy, light, you know, they get thrown in with my name on it to the board. And, and, and I take them myself every once in a while, when they add up, I get enough bags, I go and drop them off at Staples. But I guess like, I know it's small, but it's not when you think about 60 plus school, you know, schools and thousands of teachers and students and the fact that it's a it's a collected approach to you know there's a lot of markers in the system or writing utensils and so I couldn't even tell you how many I mean I was like measuring stuff it helped you know but this has been hard this is what I just do right because it's nice to measure things to help tell stories different which I mean could come up in our conversation but at the end of the day this one was more about just getting the markers in the proper spot and and it's been working well and it You got to institutionalize things. The school systems are very transient, right? You have teachers moving around as they're looking for different positions and people retiring and and administrators moving every couple of years and students move and parent councils move. And so breaking down things simply and making sure that just a certain, I was just trying to keep certain balls in the air with all my initiatives, just to make sure that they keep on going, right? Because a lot of what I find, the breakdown in some of these things that I do is just communication because so many people move around, right? And making sure that you can institutionalize and normalize some of the initiatives that you create.
1: And it's, it's amazing because it is true. I've, I've worked at, I think, six or seven different schools now. And something that you've done at one school doesn't always happen at the other school or hasn't been a, a sort of instilled in it. So I love the idea of keeping those things going and, and hopefully passing them around the district. I can't even imagine after 20 years of my teaching career, how many markers, unfortunately, that I've thrown out uh, because I did not recycle them. But I think that's a wonderful, wonderful idea. Now, um when we hear the theme, that this year's theme is invest in our planet, uh, we often think of greening our outdoor spaces. And I, I love this quote. Uh, it says, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. And this really hit home for me because I had the privilege of planting two dozen maple and oak trees with my class at the very first school that I taught at, which was 20 years ago. And I, and I want my current students to have that same experience and privilege to invest in our planet so that some of the ideas uh, that we can continue on about greening. So what are some things that we can do as teachers and students to in our classroom or in in our sort of school environment to help green it?
0: I think the first thing, honestly, and I do work at the board level part time, right? And I've been here for about 10 years into a lot of schools. And as I said, my daughter and my wife are in limestone in the system. Um, but the one thing is to take a look at like if you're new to a school or even to start looking around at what 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 policies or procedures are there. And I know this is not the, my favorite part of my job, but I do do it because there are you know, there are a lot of reasons why I, I think and it doesn't mean they can't be changed, but I've seen a lot of things over the years. It's always this time of year, right? May and the fall where people come in with a lot of energy to do certain things, um, plant trees, for example. But it's not what size a tree, what type of tree. Is it the right spot for the tree? You know, who knows about it? Like there's things there's so many stories I've seen over the years. And it seems like it's it's beer, bureaucrac- beer, bureaucracy. Or, but it's it's also about learning from the past, right? And what I mean by that is things like I've watched trees and not unbeknownst, nobody told that, uh, you know, they went in the ground and then they got caught by a lawnmower because they were just this big, just a small, you know, less than a foot tall, right? And and, and there's one small challenge, right? Every year it's a new, because it's public dollars, there's a new contractor and a tender going out for those that cut the 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 school grounds, I've seen community members complain about the trees they donated not getting watered in the summer because it wasn't someone's technical job, right? So my point is, is to look over some of the pre-existing policy, you know, at the board and the school level to learn more about it. Because I think that it's really important. But I also think that it's got to be done well, you know, who's taking care of it in the summer, if that's the case, right, you know, for these trees, Um, where's the water coming from? You know, do you have volunteers? You know, do they, do they have that's, you know, are they signed off in a volunteer form or have their CPICs, that type of stuff, right? Depending on what you're working with. So by all means, when you're talking about greening, I think it's, it's a very important thing, but I also think it's a thing that has to be involving more than just you, you know, talk. It doesn't mean even one tree, just learning a bit more of how to get it in properly and creating plans. Because what I have seen over the years too, I see a lot of like, it's emotion, right? Oh, Oh, I planted a tree and it just, they just let it die. Well, who's they? And was it part of someone else's job? You know, who do, when there was a drought, which is even more important with climate change, we're going to have more fluctuating weather patterns, right? So, I, I mean, taking the emotion out of it, it's about looking at setting it up for success, right? And some of these things take a little bit more time than you would like, I would say. But I've learned a lot in the process, and by investing and and communicating and working with a good process. I actually found we can get way more done and better stuff because it's the right trees in the right spot. It's the right shrubbery. For example, with limestone, we've been working with Evergreen, which is a schoolyard naturalization charity out of Toronto. They they run Brickworks down in Toronto. Beautiful charity. Amazing. And they've helped us create a guideline because little things like I've seen parent councils on the weekend go and buy, buy a gazebo from Costco. Well, that's good for your house, but it's not, it's not okay to be on public ground. It's just, it doesn't, it's not safe, you know, that you're, it's not insurable, right? From what I know. But my point is, is there's standards that I wasn't aware of before I started working in it. And then other things like accessibility, right? If you're talking about school gardens, accessibility is very important. Well, you know, you have to make sure the path, you know, so there's all these other things, I guess I, I want to say. So the first thing I recommend is starting to look into maybe the process currently your board would have if, if whatever board you're in, Right. The other thing is then sometimes things take a while to change. Right. So so look at best practices, because it's always good to look, hey, look at look at what they're doing. They're pretty cool. You know what I mean? Like, why can they do it? You know, but it's about working and trying to creating good processes, because those things. Yeah. Like I've watched them emotionally not blow up, but people get upset. Right. And I think learning from that, it's about kind of seeing where you're at, looking at best practices and then getting others involved to kind of work through it. And being realistic with yourself, too, because I find if you're realistic with that, you can kind of build on more success quicker than than having a lot of barriers bumping against because there are things that maybe you weren't aware of that, you know, like, oh, well, I don't know where we're going to get the water from, right? Like, well, that's a pretty big thing that should be factored in early on, you know?
1: I agree. And I think that goes back. Dan, to when we talk about invest in our planet, is it, it isn't just a one-time investment? This is looking at the long term. With my kids, they were in grade three, and they actually had to maintain those trees all the way up to it was a, up to a grade six school. So we had three years of adopting a tree and making sure it was successful. The nice thing was we had a small community as well. So the parents would come over during the summertime and it was through a program like Evergreen. It wasn't that one, but um, where we, I would say 90% of the investment in my time was just getting ready for the planting. And then the planting happened. And then from that point in, there's the rest of your time as well. But wow, how rewarding it is when you do 100% take the process and looking at other schools and and not reinventing the wheel yeah uh, other people are doing it so just see what's happening with them and and, and make that effort but I tell you, going back 20 years later and seeing those tree- trees now, it, it almost brings me to tears. So,
0: well, I wish I wish there were more planted 20 years ago, and that's what we have to do now. For in 20 years from now, being part of that, you know. And but you're 100 right. You know, just looking at t- making that plan. I've heard that saying before, right? Where if you had a problem, think for 55 minutes and act for five. You know, maybe not yeah. all the time. Sometimes there's more urgency than that. But at the same time, with this, sometimes there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of variables. You're never going to hit them all. But give it to, you know, give the respect to try to understand some of them, because, you know, uh, it, I'm, I am I to say I'm kind of lazy. I don't I, I like not, I like not reinventing the wheel. Let's let's build off other people's, you know, the the shoulders of the giants that we stand upon. Right. Like the learning that is there and learn from others. So 100 percent, Chris, yeah. um, I think it's I wish we could add more. And, I, and that's what we got to do. But it is about doing it right to make sure that um, to make sure it is successful, you know
1: exactly it's definitely not lazy it's it's doing it right and learning from other people's mistakes 100%. so dan we're coming to the end here and i always add this question at the end and you, you weren't prepped for this on purpose um it's one final uh tip that you would get and it said what advice would you give to new teachers or or teachers that haven't really uh had time to look deep into um, earth day and and sustainability projects what would you give them advice to make a difference and help promote sustainability in their own classrooms? Just one, do it in two sentences, if that's possible. If you want to get other people involved, go back to like,
0: look at organizational strategic plans. Look at what other people have already said they want do and come up with solutions that complement that that's the easiest way i'm swearing because then you get other resources you get other people bought in you know it's part of another direction so again looking at your school your school community your board or even your city or municipality and saying, oh look at these this is this is like where they say we want to go and then create solutions that fit into that because you're already on their page right they've already said people have already said they want to go in that direction so it's easier to kind of build off what somebody said because, you know, it's pride. Right. So I always just build off what others have said by looking at those plans, take a bit of time, but yeah, uh, that's something that's a, a bit of secret by Dan. Don't, uh, don't tell anyone else. Okay. I'm just joking. Spread it far and wide.
1: And it goes back to work smarter, not harder. Yeah. I mean, looking at what's already been there. And like you said, um, uh, from the shoulders of the giants, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time and and, uh, being with us today. We are going to include a lot of resources uh, on the site, so they'll be able to access your TED Talks, your your Twitter account, and your website. And I really encourage uh, teachers and just community members to reach out to Dan um, because his life is about sustainability. And, and I've worked with him before. It's just an incredible opportunity to tap into a resource that is there. And, and Dan is one of those people, as we've been told, we heard, he just works tirelessly uh, towards this end. So Dan, thank you so much for spending the time with us. And I know that we'll have you back in for another topic because there's just too much information we missed this time. Thanks for having me. Well, I look forward to coming back on. That does it for another episode of Popular Podagogy. Again, thank you to our amazing guest, Dan Hendry. Josh, as always, where can our listeners subscribe to make sure they don't miss any of our popular Podagogy podcasts? Yeah, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, the CFRC website, the Faculty of Education website, and uh, pretty much any other place you get your podcasts. That is exciting, and I look forward to reading some of our listeners' suggested future topics. Please don't forget to check out our Queen's Faculty of Education website and search for Popular Podagogy for additional resources and information. Well, that is it from myself, Chris Carlton, our podcast team of Josh, Aaron, Carly, and Becca. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay connected. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Popular Podagogy.